This episode of Full Armor Radio is brought to you by CR101 Radio Network. CR101 Radio Network is a Christian reconstruction internet radio station that hosts and broadcasts lectures, sermons, and podcasts 24-7. We're also brought to you by GCS Apprenticeship Program, which is dedicated to training the next generation of Christian teachers so they can own and operate successful and profitable Christian schools. You can learn more at cr101radio.com and gcsapprenticeship.com. And now to the show. Welcome to Full Armor Radio. I am your host, John O'Rourke. It is good to be back with you um, doing another podcast. Um, today, we're going to continue on with the theme that I've had going for a while now, which is dealing with apologetics, um, the defense of the Christian faith. That's what we've been talking about, um, a distinctively presuppositional approach to apologetics. That is um, what I am teaching and advocating for. Um, it's been on my mind a lot recently as I've been teaching it for the last few months um, in a, at a Christian camp organization. I've been doing that for multiple months. I also just did an apologetics conference up in the Chicago area, um, and those, uh, those lectures are going to be out there on YouTube and on wherever you get your podcasts for Full Armor Radio. Um, so today I wanted to continue on with... Um, what I had started in the in a podcast earlier, a previous podcast, which is um, a comparison, a contrast between typical um, evidentialist arguments, which is a school of apologetics that I am not a part of, that I would um, be in opposition to. Um, so evidentialist arguments versus a presuppositional approach to apologetics. So last time we did this, we looked at the cosmological argument for the existence of God. That's a traditional, um, that's a tr- traditional evidentialist argument um, developed particularly by um, Thomas Aquinas. Um, there's multiple versions of cosmological arguments. And um, today what we will be looking at is um, a different type of argument which is called an ontological argument. Again, there are different formulations of an ontological argument as well, but we'll be looking at um, one or two um, that are worded differently, but they're the same type of argument. So we're going to look at the ontological argument today. I'm going to criticize that and demonstrate why it's faulty and why Christians really ought not to use it. I think we ought to use a presuppositional approach to apologetics um, for more information on that, check out my previous podcasts on the issue. Check out my lectures from the conference, the Chicago conference that I put up there. Um, you know, I'm going to end up putting out all of my lectures um, of me teaching apologetics in detail as well. So look forward to those coming out in the future when I get time to work through all that material and, and upload it. So let's get right to it. Let's get to the uh, ontological argument. All right, so let's look over here. I have pulled up here um, something that I've written in critique of, a, of the ont- of an ontological type of argument. So this is what it is. An ontological argument um, deals with the being of God. That's where it's called ontological, because ontology deals with the being of something. And what the argument essentially is saying is that God, by definition of what God is, 
God is conceptually necessary um, because of God by nature being the greatest conceivable being that there is. Okay, this argument was originally developed by Anselm. And um, basically, if you understand the concept of God, then you have to draw the conclusion that God exists. So essentially, God, is, God exists by definition of, of what, what God is. So let's look at this. This one is one of the more confusing arguments. In fact, of the three main arguments that evidentialists have made, which are the cosmological, which we've covered, this one, the ontological, and then later on we'll cover the teleological argument. The ontological is by far the hardest to understand. It's confusing to people. So here's the idea. Here's a couple formulations of it here. The ontological argument could be stated this way. God, here's the first premise. God is the greatest conceivable being. Okay, by definition, that's that's what God is, the greatest being that can, can be conceived of in the mind. You can't think of something greater than God, okay, because God is the greatest. If you're thinking of something greater, well, then that thing is actually God, okay? So God is the greatest conceivable being. Premise two, a God that exists is greater than a God that does not exist. In other words, the... The um, attribute of existence is greater than the attribute of non-existence. So if God's the greatest, well then, existing is greater than not existing. So if God's the greatest, then he must exist because, you know, existing is better than not existing. So the conclusion is drawn from that. Therefore, God exists. Another way of stating it could be this way. God possesses all perfections. By definition, that's what God is. A complete being, all perfections. There's no nothing um, that is um, faulty or inadequate in God. He he professes, he possesses all perfections. And they say existence is a perfection. The existence, in other words, is better than non-existence. They would say non-existence is an imperfection, but existence is a perfection. Therefore, God must exist. Because if God has all perfections and existence is a perfection, then therefore God must exist. Again, it's the same type of argument, just worded differently. All right, so that's basically the argument. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's kind of odd. Aren't you just kind of defining God into existence, right? Wasn't that what the unbeliever would, would criticize here? Well, absolutely. They would criticize that. You're saying, oh, really? Um, it's you're just kind of defining God into existence. That's supposed to be persuasive. Well, we're going to go through here and, and look at this. This won't take very long. We're going to go through and, and show some of the problems uh, with this argument. So the argument at face value is hard for people to understand in that it doesn't have much impact rhetorically. I think that's, that's true on its face, that people, um, people don't really get it. Um, now, it doesn't mean it's a bad argument in and of itself, but it does mean it's, it's difficult to communicate it um, to people um, with any sort of force. It, it doesn't really have rhetorical value in that way. But that's not really my criticism. My criticism is logical, and that's what we're going to go through now. So here's the critique. Number one, um, this, this argument assumes that existence is a perfection, or in other words, 
um, that existing is better than not existing. The problem with that is that in some philosophies, in some worldviews, like, for example, Buddhism, non-being or non-existence is better than existence. So what, it, what this does is it assumes some sort of value system of what is better and what is worse. It just arbitrarily, that is, without any defense or support of it, just assumes that existence is better than non-existence. But see, a Buddhist might say, well, no, it's the other way around. <clears throat> non-existence is better than existence. Well, now the argument's been flipped on its head, right? That's a problem. So it already assumes a, a, a Christian value system, that is, that existence is better than non-existence. But see, some unbelievers may not grant that, right? They may not grant that existence is a perfection. So to say that, that God is the greatest conceivable being because he possesses all perfections, that already assumes that some that already assumes some sort of value system, but it raises the question, which one? Which value system are we um, gonna gonna you know live by or, or um, put forward here? And we can't just arbitrarily say, well the Christian value system is right, because that's part of the whole point here. You're supposed to be arguing for uh, the Christian worldview to some degree or at least the existence of God. That's what this argument's trying to do. But see, the, when, when the person's making this argument, they have to arbitrarily impose their value system on this God that they're arguing for in order for that to argue that he is the greatest. See, well, existence is great, is greater than non-existence. Well, that's an arbitrary claim if you're not already um, assuming some worldview, right? If you're trying to be neutral, which is what this is trying to do here, some neutral worldview standpoint that the ontological arguer is trying to do, um, he's just assuming that great that existence is greater than non-existence. So what does it mean to be the greatest being? Well, that's a highly, that, the answer to that question is highly subjective. It's dependent upon your worldview. You see, the, the, the Buddhist could reverse the argument and say this, God's the greatest conceivable being. A God that, that does not exist is greater than a God that does exist. Therefore, God does not exist. Because he's imposed his value system, which is that existence is worse than non-existence, and that non-existence is greater. So they say, well, if God's the greatest conceivable being, and non-existence is greater than existence, well, then this God must not exist, right? They've reversed the argument and destroyed it. They've turned it on its head. Because when somebody makes arbitrary claims, that can always be reversed. If you make claims that are not... Um, that are not argued for, that are not supported by, by reasons, then they can just reverse it on you and say, well, no, I think that non-existence is better than existence. Now, that's basically the main issue here, is that when you look back at the argument here, God is the greatest conceivable being, a God that exists is greater than a God that does not exist. That second premise there, it, it, you're going to be assuming what is great, you're going to be assuming what perfections are. And that's just a big um, opinion-based, arbitrarily um, assigned thing where you're just arbitrarily assigning your values to what God is. Somebody could say, well, God's the greatest conceivable being. Well, what do you think is great or the greatest? Some may say, well, a God that, in this case, does not exist. Others may say a God that does exist. Some may say, well, a God that is morally perfect. Well, what do you mean by morally perfect? Right? That's very subjective because it's going to come down to your value systems. Okay? 
So the problem here is that the second premise is very arbitrary and therefore could be rever- reversed and can refute the argument. Now, finally, from a Christian worldview perspective, of course, where I'm coming from, one big failure of this argument, in addition to the logical failure, is that this argument does not argue for the Christian God in particular. It only argues for some general or ambiguous deity, one that's perfect, but perfection is going to be defined by the worldview of the one who puts forth this argument. So all we know about this God is that the person who's making this argument thinks that he is the greatest, that that's what God is by definition. But see, that doesn't tell us really anything about this God. It doesn't tell us that it's the Christian God that's revealed himself in the Bible. This, this sort of argumentation, um, just like the cosmological argument, only argues for some God out there, right? Some God out there um, who exists. That doesn't tell you anything, very, doesn't tell you very much at all. And I don't think the argument succeeds in proving that this ambiguous God out there does exist. So what would I do instead? Well, from a presuppositional standpoint, you have to presuppose the Christian worldview. And, of course, your unbelieving opponent presupposes some other worldview. We all presuppose worldviews. We all have worldviews that we hold to, and and worldviews are how we interpret information. Right, so so if I'm gonna basically in other in other words, there are two ways of approaching the Bible. You can accept that the Bible is the word of God, or you can reject that the Bible is the word of God. Those are your two options. Those are your two presuppositions that you can take with regard to the Bible. It is the word of God, or it is not the word of God. If it's not the word of God, if you presuppose the Bible is not the word of God, then the presuppositional argument called the transcendental argument, goes like this. If you presuppose the Bible is not the word of God, then you cannot make sense out of any of your experiences as a human being without being arbitrary, that is, not having a reason to believe it, or inconsistent, that is, illogical. So, for example, with morality, unbelievers, you know, say you're atheist, right? He believes it's wrong to murder and steal. Most of, most of them will agree, it's wrong to murder and steal. However, do they have a reason to believe that? Well, since they presuppose that the Bible is not the word of God, they have no basis for morality without being arbitrary, that is, believing it for no reason at all, or being inconsistent, like being a relativist. So that's just a quick, quick example. Um, but if you do presuppose the Bible is the word of God, if you take the other foundation that the Bible is the word of God, I can point out why it is wrong to murder and steal because God who created us, who's given us, given all human beings um, the work of the law written on their heart, he has given us his law, the Ten Commandments, which say, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, right? For example. So that's just one example. If you're interested in, in more of a presuppositional approach, there's a ton of other videos that I've done and lectures I've given that will go into detail. Um, but the purpose of this podcast primarily is to critique the ontological argument. You see, the problem here is that this argument, um, again, doesn't argue for the Christian worldview in particular, and it's arbitrary when it comes to its uh, second premise there, that God, um, that a God that exists is better than a God that does not exist, uh, or that existing is a greater attribute than not, not existing. With that, the argument falls apart, Okay. 
doesn't stand up to scrutiny. So it's best not to argue for some general deity, which is unfaithful to God, to the true God, the Trinity. Um, it's also best to argue consistently and faithfully without committing arbitrariness or some sort of logical fallacy. And that's what we have here. Um, this simply assumes what uh, some sort of value system without arguing for it. And that's the main issue here. So it's not, uh, it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a lot of time to go over this. That's basically the issue. So hopefully you understand. Let me, let me sum up here. The, the uh, ontological argument says God's the greatest conceivable being. Second, a God that exists is greater than a God that does not exist. Therefore, God exists. Yeah, that's, that's an example of an ontological argument because they assume that existence is greater than non-existence. Therefore, if God's the greatest, he must possess that greater attribute, which is existence. However, that claim that existence is a greater attribute than non-existence is arbitrary, and it's already arbitrarily imposing a Christian value system when, like I said, a Buddhist, on the other hand, will take the reverse value system and can reverse the argument and say, well, then a God that does not exist is greater than a God that does exist because non-existence is a greater attribute than existence. And that's the problem with this argument. It falls apart because of its arbitrariness. Okay? So I hope that was helpful to you. If you haven't heard the previous podcast on the critique of the of a cosmological argument, because there are many different variations of it, the cosmological arguments deal with um, arguing that God is the first cause that causes the rest of the cause and effect chain that we have in our experiences. If you haven't heard that podcast, go back and check it out. It's called Cosmological Argument versus Presuppositionalism, something like that. Um, you can check that out. Um, coming up after this podcast, we will have a, another podcast here uh, coming out shortly. There will be a critique of the teleological argument, which deals with um, God as being the great designer of all things and arguing from the design of the world. I'm going to critique that um, and contrast that a little bit with a presuppositional approach. Um, again, you want to go back to a presuppositional argument. It's most faithful to Scripture. It actually argues for the whole Christian worldview instead of just arguing for some general God out there. And it argues faithfully, um, consistently, logically, unlike the cosmological arguments, ontological, and teleological argument, as we'll see in a future podcast. All right, so I hope this was helpful to you. Um, check out uh, other podcasts that I have on Full Armor Radio on your favorite um, podcast uh, streaming service, Spotify, Apple, whatever, you name it. Uh, it's also on YouTube, YouTube videos of the same podcast, uh, Full Armor Ministries YouTube channel. All right, so check it out. I um, hope this is helpful to you, and God bless you. Have a great day.